disagreed, it became a Christian church, which is another lie. Then it's time to make it a Jewish Christian church again to revive. From where did you get these things? So this is the message preached to the Jewish people, and it's written in two of the books. So every time I have a message to gain followers and to detach them from any other thing, whether it's a church, husband, wife, kids, whatever it is. Okay? Any questions? Yes. What is the scope of Ba'atiyah's influence today? Does he have followers in monasteries? Some people say yes, but you don't know when, or sorry, where and how many exactly. But I believe they are very small or few people. But the idea is not who are, how many followers. We, as a community, we need to know what is right and what is wrong. Every single screen presented in red, which was his teaching, and if you compare it to what we have learned as the very first stuff, it's totally alien to the church. One more question. Do you know anything about life of Ahasuerus to understand the wound or the hurt that is the root of many of his false teachings? It helps us to see him as someone who is wounded, who needs the mother church just as much as any of us. Maybe it won't be helpful, and you can ignore this question if so. I'm not ignoring it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't know. Yani, as you said, it shows a wound from the church, definitely. And that's why this hatred that is instilled in each and every talk or discussion is there. And you'll see it now by your own eyes in his books. Can you please comment on the status of the devil in the New Testament? Some of Atif's teaching resolve around a paranoia that devil is constantly fighting against us. You'll see it in a moment in this, in this game. Yes. Okay, let us start. And keep, keep both yes. I just want to make a, a, a comment. You know, what she just recently said about um, this group behavior of, of isolating and, uh, if you will, almost demonizing the others. First, your, your parents, then your family, then your religious community. This is a, a very, very common um, behavior in religious cults. And in the United States, if you go back in the 70s, and in the 80s, there was a very large, if you will, emergence of religious cults. Some of those that masqueraded as being quasi-Christian. Many that brought in were a mixture of Hinduism um, and, uh, and, and other mystical religions. And this is coming in the aftermath of the hippie movement, right, in the post-Vietnam era. And people were searching, young people were searching for something different. But the, the religious cults that are all around an individual... Right, were predicated upon a us versus them mentality and, and an isolation from around, from the rest of the world to this pure singular teaching. Yeah. And so I, I just want to say, actually, from some personal experience, this is, it's, it's amazing that it's, a, it's almost like a very a template for of religious cult. cults yeah. to, to capture young people in a fashion like this. Yeah. And, and it takes, a, a, well, obviously, enormous prayers, but it's also psychological, um, if you will, a, a campaign to basically try to convince young people that they have been actually deluded. Yes. And, and, and then when they step back and leave these cults, then they, they feel such shame 
they feel such um, like what has happened to my life and what is important is for there to be support groups to basically embrace people that leave these these groups and to to show that they had been you know on an erroneous path but more importantly that they can be on a path to basically rebuild their self-confidence thank you very much Robert. this is exactly what we are going to end up at the very end that it's a cult and it's a movement trying to make this isolation as any other cult is used to be but the main idea is at the very end we'll discover that it's a mixture of at least seven to eight heresies already existing in the church from the second century to the 17th century. We'll see them one by one, and we'll put his text, and we'll see the text of those heretics in the past. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, let me summarize what we said in the, first, in the last talk, which is the dilemma. I will leave the dilemma in five minutes, to be able to see the solution that he's going to offer. The dilemma is, every person, when he is saved, we don't know when and how, is going to receive the saving grace, but he is not able to save the Savior. And the dilemma is, you need to form the Savior in your life. You are saved without a Savior, but you have the saving grace. Your salvation is completed. I'm here reciting what Dr. Atabai said in his books, which we read a few minutes ago. You, your salvation is completed, but you don't have the Savior yet. And he's talking about what is called spiritual zygote, which is a seed of salvation. You receive it when you are saved, but you don't have the Savior. And this spiritual zygote is in a prison, and it needs to get out of it to grow. Why? the seer of the table and the cloth. You have the table, if you imagine my body is the inner man and my tonic is the cloth. The real thing is my body. This is the inner man as he described. This inner man is the part is going to go to heaven when I die. So I can go without, with missing limbs. Why? Because I didn't form Christ properly in me. So it's serious for him that I need to form Christ, otherwise I'll be distorted or disabled in my eternity, which is against all the church prayers and beliefs. And I need to form Christ while I am saved, I don't need him. We said, at this point, the man will have zero inner man, but he is saved. He has zero robe of righteousness, but still he is saved. We don't know when or how. This is the dilemma that he is trying to address. Then we need to break the barrier, and we saw that the verse is misunderstood by the fathers. It was totally different. In Greek language, it was totally different. To form Christ, the two verses he's using, we saw from a Greek perspective, it was wrong interpretation of the word. From the church fathers, it was wrong interpretation as well. Now let us look at <coughs> his own Solution. So it's page eight in our handouts. Can you, Kirk, skip? We have two questions. We'll answer them later. Yes. If you want to have the slides, if you are watching on the online, go to Saint Mark Facebook page, and you can download all the 
هاند اوت Can you make the iPad to see the same thing? Thank you. So we'll start with a solution. As you're waiting, if you're streaming online, go to St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church of Washington, D.C. Facebook page, or go to my personal page, Abuna Paul Gerges, and you will see a QR code or a link to be able to download all the slides um, on, a, on a PDF, I think, um, online. So those people that are streaming and you want to follow along this, with the slides, you can go to St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church of Washington, D.C.'s Facebook page, and you will see um, the link, and you'll see a picture of a QR code. And also, um, you can go to my personal Facebook page, Abuna Paul Gerges. So, part two, he's offering the solution for this fake dilemma. Let us take the steps and we'll go through them one by one. <clears throat> what a list of five things to do as a solution to the dilemma. The assurance of salvation, working out our salvation, and he called it the means of grace, the seasons of salvation and the divine calendar, the city of the soul and the city of God, and finally, the spiritual fatherhood and the sanctifying of the spirit. Start from page 61. And we read together. Yes. Again, if it's in red, it's the saying of the book of Atif Aziz. If it's in green, it's our refutation to this claim. We are all familiar with the means of grace, which are prayer, repentance, the word of God, fasting, and ministry. What do you think? Is it enough? Where are the sacraments? No. Anything related to the church is not there. It's me and what I am teaching you. <clears throat> we, are all, we all know these are means which help us in the process of spiritual growth. However, despite the great importance of the means of grace, focusing on one principle only does not help one principle of the five of his own list. So we need to follow this list. Otherwise, it is of no help, even if you pray. The means of grace help the person, and please try to focus on this sentence and try to understand it. The means of grace help the person to establish a step which has been already been taken daily. The means of grace helps a person to establish a step which has been already been taken. They has, been, has already been taken and to establish. But it does not help the person to move from one level to the other. It means, according to this, the means of grace cannot help you at all. Why? The means of grace helps the person to establish a step which has already been taken. The step has been taken. What, is, what are you going to, make, to, to help me in it? But it cannot help the person to move from a level to another. Again, still, the means of grace are prayer, repentance, without the church as well. The word of God, fasting and ministry. 
These are only the means of grace. <clears throat> Let me ask these few questions. First of all, are the sacraments considered as the main means of grace or not even included? If it's not included, it's not the church. I can't understand, can't listen to what you are saying. His list of the means of grace are only to establish a step which is already taken but not move from one level to another. What does it mean? And how you can establish a step in general? And what does it mean? Who is going to move me from a step to another, from a level to another? Is it you or what is not called the means of grace? The idea is to follow the five steps. Fair enough. Let us take it one by one. But here he is putting more emphasis on my principle. I mean his principles. We complain that we have ups and downs in our spiritual life and cannot break through despite practicing all the means of grace in his list. This actually because the means of grace, if taken separately without the other principles, his own principles, cannot help the person to set up from one level to another. There are other important principles which help in this. They are the steps that help in the formation of Christ. Back to our fake dilemma. In the idea now, if we are not forming Christ, we are not going to move from a step to another, from a level to another level, by my own principles, not by the means of grace of the church. Not in the church, but by my own means of grace. The person can move from one level to another. Each step a person takes needs to be established. And this requires the means of grace. So, by forming Christ, according to his words, I'm going to step higher. To keep this step, I have to continue doing the means of grace, according to his own list. Again, general notes or comments. It falsifies the meaning of mysticism in the church. What does it mean? Now, if you attend 10 liturgies and you fast it, and you pray it, and you make your matanias, can you consider, or can you nominate a certain stage after the matanya number 25? I, I arrived to the level 6 or 7. After 50 liturgies, I got to the level of X and Y. Here is the problem. I canceled the mysticism, and now it became a template. Here is my list. Do it, you'll move from a level to another level. The church is a mystical church, living mysteriously through the sacraments of God. And then his list of means of grace are able only to establish a step which is already taken, but not to move from one level to another. Sorry, it excludes sacraments, or at best, it degrades the power of the sacraments. Why? Because it depends on my own principles. It doesn't depend on God. That's why it's towards more of Pelagianism. I am going to make it. I'm going to form Christ in me. 
away from the church, away from God himself, because I am away of the sacraments. By doing my own practice according to the list, I will be able to make it. It adopts black Jainism or at best semi-black Jainism when I am forcing grace on my life. Here, his hatred to the church is very clear. Let us read page 62. The high, this highlights that over the centuries, it's not only now, it's over the centuries, the devil has succeeded to steal from the church of Christ all her riches, not part, all. So we are now living in a poverty. Leaving her with only one point, which he knows it will not have a great effect. And hence, people would remain under his dominion. So all of you, sorry to say, under the dominion of the devil because you lost all your riches. This because when the devil did this stealing, when the church was negligent during certain centuries, so you lost all riches, you are negligent for centuries, not for days or years, he formed a layer of a cover of darkness around the minds of the people. Not only you, it's the whole church over centuries. A layer of cover of darkness around the minds of the people. A veil has been formed. And surprisingly enough, he's quoting the scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.12 This cover or veil causes a hindrance in understanding the truth. Yes. The scripture, I will show it to you in a minute, but I will continue his writings, and then we'll see the truth of it. He's adding in page 62, however, this saving grace can be stunned, we can stop at this point where we will be actually saved, but we will not be working our salvation with fear and trembling. The person can live and die only at the stage of being saved. This is again the words of Aziz, and Christ will not be formed in him. So if you imagine you are living in the church which is having a layer of darkness in your mind, lost all your treasures, but in the same time you received the saving grace. So you are saved while having a great cover of darkness over your mind, losing all your treasures, and you are under the dominion of the devil. Can you connect it together? Or do you believe, according to his words, that none is receiving the saving grace or even received any sort of salvation in the church for centuries? How you can make this logic to any mind. One more page, 76 and 77. Salvation has been completed and also salvation needs to be worked out. It has been completed by Jesus and we receive it as a saving grace, but we need to work it out to receive the Savior as a, as a person. So how come I have darkened mind, lost all my treasures under the dominion of the devil? And you are telling me, even if you are not going to form Christ, you are saved. What sort of sense is it? 
One more thing. The devil succeeded to steal from the church all her richness. If you go to, it's by chance, it's the gospel of today. And also I say to you, the Lord in Matthew 16, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It prevailed according to his writings. And for centuries, a cover of darkness, the devil is have dominion over the church, and the church lost her richness. Will you accept this historically, even not on a personal level? Are people saved while they lost all the riches? How come? He's telling you are saved, but now the principle is to form Christ. How come? You lost everything, but you are saved. Are people saved while they have a cover of darkness around their minds? Can you imagine the logical compatibility of the words. Some more questions. Over centuries, the church was negligent. So if the church is negligent for centuries, is, it, is there any possibility that one person in the church was not negligent rather than you? You'll see in a moment in one of the books, uh, responsibility for generations that he saw received a commission he was in a flight and in this flight he heard his eyes were opened and he heard you are the man who is responsible for the generation because no other person in the church can share with him the responsibility of the generation it's only one man of the generation called the man of generation then there was a veil, and this veil is this black darkness that makes the church under the dominion of the devil. And here is a verse. Just read the verse, and we'll find that it's a lie. St. Paul was talking about the Israelites who are rejecting Christ. It has nothing to do with devil darkening the church. It's darkening the minds of the non-believers that used at that time. St. Paul says, but... Their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains uplifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You are taking again the verse out of context totally. Then let us start one by one the five principles, the solution of the dilemma. And here is having a shocking news as well. The first principle is the assurance of salvation. He called it the doctrine of the western part of the church. Forty times you are mentioning the church fathers. This is not the church fathers. But you are starting your principles with an alien doctrine from the whole church. He says, this is a familiar term which is frequently highlighted and discussed especially in the western part of the church. According to the current teaching, the assurance of salvation depends on clarifying the biblical truths related to salvation and presenting them to the believers. 
These biblical verses highlight the salvation is assured because it is an eternal salvation. He's quoting two verses. We'll see them in a moment. The assurance of salvation is, in fact, the foundation upon which all the truths of salvation and the working out of salvation are based. So now we are talking about the base of the solution. Here are the two verses to find out what he is saying is true or not. This is Hebrews 5, 8 and, and, 8 and 9. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Second verse, 9, 12, Hebrews as well. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. These are the two verses. Let us see these two questions. Is this eternal salvation presented to all or obtained by all? The very famous verse, John 3.16, God so loved the world and he said, he, he accepted to offer his son. Fair enough. And the whole world can accept salvation. But did all the world receive salvation? No. Because it's a synergetic act. We offer salvation and then we have to synergize with this act of God. So is this eternal salvation presented to, or obtained by all? To all who obey him, an ongoing synergetic act. So what he did is eternal, but it depends on me to receive it, to live a holy life, synergetic life from day one since I received Christ in my baptism till my last breath. Where is the human part here? Where is time in eternity? Yes, what Christ did is eternal in everything. His baptism was eternal, his cross, it, 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 everything is eternal in Christ but it's my participation in time to enjoy this fullness of what Christ offered me. Then he is adding something more in the same context, that the commandments are crutches. God gave us the commandments as crutches to help our weak humanity to walk straight and upright. We will do it because we have the five principles of Dr. Atif Aziz. This is the real purpose of God's commandments. They are not intended as a burden or as do's and don'ts. Yet in his fallen nature, man turns the commandments into a burden. And he began to be afraid of God and walk a distance from him. Let us just read two verses to see the beauty of the commandments. It's not a burden, it's not the crutches. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's a sign of love. It's not crutches anymore. And my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. It will be the indwelling place of God the Father and God the Son. This is how the church, how the scriptures are, is portraying the word of God. It's not crutches or burdens. 1250. And I know that his command is everlasting life, not crutches. It's everlasting life. 
Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Not crutches anymore. Then, strangely enough, he's telling it bland, blunt. What is it? The church fathers are rejecting this teaching. The early church fathers did not like the assurance which only comes from the verses. It's your misinterpretation of the verses. It's not the church father likes the verses, but this is not the right interpretation of the verses. That prove, prove it because they knew that there, are, there can be times over spiritual warfare or spiritual weakness. Now he is talking on their mouth. No. And when the person can doubt this assurance, according to them, again he is talking on behalf of the father, which never said by them. According to them, without also reference as usual, this assurance is a realization based on what happened inside the soul by salvation. The whole content is alien to the church. And even when he said they don't accept it, he is trying to give an excuse from his own personal way of thinking. Here is the appropriate teaching of the church, St. Irenaeus. But with respect to obedience and doctrine, we are not all sons of God. Again, those only are so who believe in him and do his will. And those who do not believe and do not obey his will are sons and angels of the devil because they do not do the works, they do, do the works of the devil. In his book, against Hellas, again, 441 and 2. So he's telling us, yes, he did an eternal salvation. He showed an eternal salvation. But it's not for everyone unless you go and believe and use the proper means of grace in the church, not outside the church. Anyways, again, those who do not obey him have ceased to be his sons. So it's not a matter of he did an eternal salvation, but I'm going to disobey him. I'm still having the eternal salvation. It's a lie. Then he is trying to summarize the life of Christ. We said a few minutes ago, it's incarnational, which means we receive the whole life of Christ. And now he is trying to shrink it into something very small. Very important, but very small. Why? It is his resurrection, his redemptive work, his crucifixion and resurrection only. Again, to be an incarnational teaching, it means I am receiving every single thing he did since the Annunciation till his ascension into heaven and pouring out the Holy Spirit. If I would ignore anything in between, there is something seriously wrong. His crucifixion and resurrection, when the Holy Spirit transfers to us the death and resurrection of Christ, how, according to St. Cyril, St. Gregory, it's only through the uh, baptism of Christ, which is given to us in our own personal baptism. Now, it's just a vague statement as such. His death takes away the corruption, while his resurrection transfers life, a life which bears inner healing, and wholesomeness, as a result, we will be justified and will also be healed. 
will be justified from the condemnation of sin and be healed from the poison of the old serpent, that wound of sin. This is the assurance of faith and salvation. The aim of every spiritual exercise, like prayer and repentance, always we are in this area, is to help us connect with the redemptive work of Christ, where the Holy Spirit transfers to us only the death and resurrection. We are the most يعني, church in the world celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ in each and every day, week, month, and year. But can we ignore the incarnation? Can we ignore the epiphany? Can we ignore every single act in the, in the life of the church? We'll see it in a minute in what is called the seasons. We cannot. We cannot say the life of Christ is, or the redemptive act of Christ is, cross and resurrection only. Because I want to be away from anything else that you might need the church in it. And here what is by Professor Theodore Staniloni Police. If I can pronounce it right. He's a professor of New Testament in Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, Eastern Orthodox Spirituality in the Holy Cross. He's telling us what is the life of, of Christ, what we need to gain from the life of Christ. Don't the most important feast days of the year celebrate the good news of the life and work of Christ, the Annunciation. The birth, presentation into the temple, baptism, transfiguration, triumphal entry, Passion Week, Easter, ascension, and his gift of the Spirit on the Pentecost day, all of which are based on the New Testament. Do we not remember and relive his death and resurrection on each Sunday and in each liturgy? Do we not continuously hear about Jesus' teaching, miracles, and encounters with men and women from all walks of life, even the feast days of the prophets, apostles, the Otokos, and the saints, properly understood, point to the centrality of Christ, the Savior, and the Lord of all. We can't ignore even the feast of the saints and the prophets and the apostles. It's the whole life of the church. It's not your own personal mix, it's the life of the church. It's not your own choice in the parts you want to present in the life of Christ, it is the whole life of Christ. Again, the same professor. Orthodox worship proclaims the centrality of Christ. The liturgical year celebrates the presence of the mystery of Christ in the life of the church. The presence of the mystery of Christ from Annunciation till pouring out the Spirit, and seeks to make the living Christ a renewing life source for every Orthodox Christian. This is the church teaching. Again, we are quoting from the Eastern Orthodox Church and from our church to show that this teaching, it's neither Orthodox, it's neither Oriental, it's not OCN, I don't believe that any one of us can believe in such things, even it's not Protestant. So what are you doing? It's a man-made doctrine. I will see more in a moment. And this is what we pray in the church. So again, page 76 in his book, again in the inner man, we should die with Christ day after day to work out our salvation. Therefore, 
Christ died for us, and we so we should learn to die daily with Christ. His death brings forgiveness and justification. Our daily partaking in his death breaks the power of sin. The old nature, this is sanctification. Have you ever heard in any church, Orthodox church I mean, that we can talk about daily death and daily resurrection with Christ and to ignore totally the baptism and Eucharist? Can you imagine this in any Orthodox church? How come we can talk about this and, and daily death with no single mention of baptism and Eucharist, in the, not in this book only, nearly in the seven books? How come? This is what we say in the liturgy of St. Basil. As priests and as congregation, every time you shall eat of this bread, it's the Eucharist. We proclaim his death. We live his death. We heard Professor the odor was telling us, in each time you come to church in the liturgy, you re-experience the life of Christ. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, his everything. And the congregation says him, your death, O Lord, we proclaim. We are not here to just hear about him. We are reliving his death. Again, he's adding... So at the dilemma, he was showing this idea of saving grace and no savior. He's adding the same principle to, uh, to, to the principles of solving out the solution or finding out the solution. Salvation has been completed and also salvation needs to be worked out. It has been completed by Jesus and we received it as the saving grace. But we need to work out our salvation to receive a savior as a person. The second step in his teaching is first principle is to have the assurance of faith or assurance of salvation which is not accepted by the Father according to his teaching, according to what he wrote. And at the same time, it is a Western term. And the third time, he is talking on behalf of the Father wrongly to say that this is the base of finding the solution. Second thing, he was talking about work out your own salvation. And again, he has a verse. Salvation has been completed, and also salvation needs to be worked out. It has been completed by Jesus, and we received it as a saving grace, but we need to work it out, our salvation, to receive the Savior. And then he is quoting Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. So I need to work out my own salvation for his understanding is to make the Savior in me. Let us see St. John Chrysostom how he is explaining this verse. In these words I am crucified with Christ he alludes to baptism which is always ignored. And in the words nevertheless I live yet not I our subsequent manner of life whereby our members are mortified. By saying Christ lives in me, he means nothing is done by me, which Christ disapproves. For as by death he signifies not what is commonly understood by this, but a death to sin, by, so by life he signifies a delivery from sin through baptism. And as we read in the morning, by Father Zacharias, 
renewed through repentance and confession in the church and then sealed by the Eucharist in the church. It has nothing to do with forming Christ, which is a fake dilemma we discussed a moment ago. Let us see what Origen is saying about the same verse. The expression I live, yet no longer I, was the voice of one denying himself, as of one who had laid aside his own life and taken on himself the Christ already. Wait, when in day one, I'm not going to form a Christ in me, it's already in me. In order that he might live in him as righteousness and as wisdom and as sanctification and as our peace and as the power of God who works all things in him. It's something already done by origin. So the first two principles, assurance of salvation, and it is not said by the fathers, and the father didn't like it, but he liked it, and it's the base of the principle. Second thing is to work out your own salvation based on Galatians 2.20, and we saw it again, the baptism. The third one is the seasons. Yeah. In the seasons. We'll read and we'll explain it in the same time. That God has, in, the, in, in, in all the books, sometimes he's saying five seasons, some other times six seasons. In this season, God is going to give a certain grace. And this grace is only given at that time. So in the time of resurrection, you have the power of resurrection. Not in other times. There is something else you'll see it in a moment that is in his writings. And what he's saying also in his writings, it has a start and then a journey and a peak. So when we have a fast, we start at the beginning of the fast to gain something very small of this grace, if it's the power of his religion or power of whatever in, in his life. And then I go to the journey and in the day of the feast, I received the peak of this power. Again, this is the teaching of Atavali. Let us read what he is writing in page 77. The sinner has only one gate to enter through that. That is the cross. However, a believer should know how much Jesus has done for us. He has done six main acts of salvation. In the same book, and in other books, it's only five, but let us take the big number. Making our salvation complete and established, there are incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, the pouring of the Spirit, and his second coming. These are the acts of salvation will be further explained below. Let us go below. We need to learn how to constantly and repeatedly draw from the six acts of salvation. Actually, each of these acts has its own grace. The Bible tells us the grace is manifold. And then he is quoting, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. But many may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ. This is the two verses, 1 Peter 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.10. This is the core of having the manifold grace of God. So it is manifold grace, 
related to the seasons, which has no connection at all. Let me show you the commentary by Abuna Tadros in page 87 and 88. It's the whole verse, the whole paragraph even, talking about different kinds of ministry in the body of Christ. And this is the manifold grace within the body. As a good steward of the manifold grace of God, meaning that these gifts were given from God's hand, not for vain glory, but for the ministry of the church and all entire human race. It has nothing to do with feasts at all. St. John Chrysostom said, there are different members in the body, in the church. Some are more honorable than others. For example, some celibates, some widows, some married and are and all complement one another. One's gift may be less than the other, but it may be indispensable. So if that member is delayed for his job, many other jobs will be delayed. It has nothing to do with feast or anything else. Yes, we have a manifold grace in the church, but it has nothing to do with what you call it, the different seasons and different grace. Yeah. Yes, we can go back to this. This is a good idea. What is missing from these six acts? What you feel it's more essential here? That's missed from the six acts of salvation. Hmm? Baptism, the epiphany. Why? Because the whole journey, I don't want you to be in the church. And not only the church, if in the church in day one, in our baptism, I received and Christ is formed in me. The whole book, and the whole journey, the whole principles, ignoring totally even the baptism of Christ. While we believe as a church, and each and every Orthodox church, we have three major feasts in the church. The nativity of Christ, resurrection of Christ, and the epiphany. And this is the only three liturgies we have it in the evening, because we have a special rank in the church. We believe that the baptism of Christ was the beginning of the salvation of all mankind. That's why it's not only we saw the Trinity, or the Trinity manifested himself so clearly, but our humanity, which Christ took for the first time, we received the Holy Spirit, we received it to indwell in our fallen nature for the first time, to enable us now to receive this, which to form it. We can't form it. We received it in Christ in my on day of baptism. And every time, if he mentioned four or five, the missing one always, the epiphany. It's not considered as a feast. Yes, and also here he's missing, the, see, I will see it in a moment, to see our list and the list of the Greek church as well. So let me share with you St. Clement, Clement of Rome, commenting on the verse of the manifold grace. For it is said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let us unite ourselves to them to whom grace has been given by God. Thus put on oneness of mind. Let us be humble, temperate, far from any cursing or evil speech, making ourselves righteous by the deeds and not by the words. Let our praise be from God and not from ourselves. God hates those who praise themselves as the witness of our good deeds be given by others. It has nothing to do with feasts at all. In page 81, 
is complaining that people are saying what are teaching is legalistic. So he's defending himself. Legalistic means, again, Pelagianism in a sense. However, later on, due to the theological debates about grace, the work of the flesh, and the possibility of legalism, the church, again, lost such valuable teaching experience, which is the manifold grace of the seasons. Spiritual discipline include, among others, among others, I will not mention them, regular prayers, fasting, visual nights of prayers, prostration, being disciplined, and taught by the word of God, receiving spiritual counsel, not confession. Spiritual counsel. Repentance, searching oneself, obeying the commandments of love and forgiveness. Where is the church? There's no church. We don't want the church. So we don't need, we don't want the church. Then he is continuing the complaint. It was well known that every spiritual discipline which one follows, observes, has dual action. Only dual action. And that is this and resurrection, nothing else. Because we ignore the whole life of Christ or we shrink the life of Christ to be this and resurrection only. This is because it is actually connects us with the work of the cross through the Holy Spirit, bringing to the inner man the power of Christ's death and puts the old nature to death and also the power of Christ's resurrection to release the new nature. Who then can say this is legalistic? Where is the grace? Where is the church? Where is the whole list we shared it at the beginning? And still his claim, it is not legalistic. Let me share with you these few questions. The church lost the experience of spiritual discipline. You imagine the church, the whole church, of course, over centuries because of the blindness and the layer of, of darkness which we explained before. We lost the experience of spiritual discipline. So I am the only one, I'm talking his God, who has a discipline and I will teach you how to be disciplined. Where is the synergy in this context? There is no synergy. It's you lost, I will teach you, I will make you to make it. No Trinitarian, there is no Trinitarian economy at all. The aim is to form Christ. You don't need to do anything with the Father or the Holy Spirit. You need to form Christ by my way. The Father mentioned only twice in this book. In other books, never mentioned. Accusing which church? Is it the Eastern Orthodox Church? Is it the Oriental Orthodox Church? Is it the Protestant Church? It's everyone. Every denomination. No one was passing through this examination, unfortunately. I'm not going to read it, but we read it at the beginning, the word of St. Cyprian. The spouse of Christ cannot be defiled. It's always holy. And if you reject your holy mother, you are rejecting your heavenly father as well. So again, the principle of trying to find a solution to the fake dilemma, assurance of salvation, and is rejected by the father from his mouth. Then the second thing is forming Christ, work out your salvation because you are having a saving grace, but you don't have the Savior. And the third one, the seasons. Then he is adding more on these seasons. So he's saying the purpose of spiritual diligence. And he's quoting Second Peter <clears throat> from 3 to 11. 
to nourish, this is his wording again, our weak spirit so that the spirit can grow, enlarge, and reign her original shape and function. To release the seed, again, this idea of the spirit of the God, of grace, from the inner imprisonment, to help in the process of the formation of Christ in us. So now, let us read the verses to see if any of these illusions is included in it. I put here in front of you verse 3 to 6, which shows the proper teaching of the church, which is against all what is written. <clears throat> verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and goodness. This is the initiation of grace. His divine power has given emta when? In day one, when I got baptized. And I renew it with each confession, seal it with each and every communion. So the start is always from the divine power. His divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and goodness. So the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through this you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he imparted me once more to be partaker of his divine nature, able to escape the corruption of the world. Then the diligence will come. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, which reason? You have received. His divine power give you, giving, has given, given you everything pertains to life and goodness. His being a participant or partaker in his divine nature, you will be able to escape the corruption of the world. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add your, ver your faith virtue, and then a list. So the beginning is from God. This is the, what you are quoting is misquoting or misunderstanding what St. Peter is saying. God is always going to bestow upon us such grace. And this, for this very reason, we are going diligently to pursue a different kind of life. Not because we can make it, because we, we were empowered to do it. If I will fail, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Go to verse 3 and 4 again. Re-empower yourself by his grace. Tell him, I am here in, your, in, in, in receiving of your grace. Then I will be able to do it. He is continuing. By even more diligent to make sure your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he's telling us totally the opposite of St. Peter, but he's quoting Peter from chapter 1, verse 2 to 11. It's not to form Christ. His divine power has given everything that pertains to life and goodness. We became partakers of his divine nature, and so on. So please, even if you read any books of these books, and he's quoting a verse, go to the verse, and you'll find it not right. If he's quoting a father, which is very rare, I just told you, in one book, one quote, and 48 times I'm saying the father said. You'll find it in a very simple way. Verse 3 and 4, showing the initiation of the grace. 5 and 8, the active, positive response by our free will to what God has given us. 10 and 11, if you fail in your response, 
and to cooperate with the grace, go back to three and four, receive more of his grace. You can't make it. You can't make it by your own at any level. And he had three questions to his claim, or fourth claim. Restoring the original shape of the baptism. Again, that's why the epiphany is not of the season. It's of the list. Sacraments is off the list. Why? Because I have to make up my own community who are in not in need of anything except me. You don't need a church. You don't need a spiritual father. You need sacraments. You need me only. You don't, don't need even your parents or your spouse. You need me only. Forming Christ without Eucharist and without baptism, it's also another lie. Again, it's blackness and it's fullness. Then, this is two important lists. One of them he called tools to waken the old man. So now we need to break the barrier, to waken the old man, and to allow the spiritual zygote to grow up. The list, fasting on a regular basis, a day per week, for example. Are you in a church? Are you giving us an example? Or the church has already its own rule? The church is fasting every Wednesday and Friday. Are you giving a concession to be only one day at your choice? What are you doing exactly? Number two, daily repentance, reviewing the activity of every day between you and your God, fine. Or between you, and you'll see it later, with your own spiritual counselor or mentor, but no church, no confession. There's an authority to your Mentor over your father of confession. Because we don't need the church. We don't need a father of confession. Reading the word of God. Reading the large portions for the purpose of receiving the washing power of the word. Fair enough. Can I read it without the church? Without the understanding of the church? It was said, read it, don't think of it. Because you will be mixed up. Read it and come and listen to me. And then I will tell you the only right interpretation, as we have seen now, how it's always misguided and misunderstood and even misquoted. Submitting to God's chastising times, doing so thankfully, truthfully, the apparent departure of the Spirit of God. Sacrificial living, laying down rights and avoiding materialistic living. This is the things can weaken the old man. You need a church? Of course, no. You need sacraments? Of course, no. But you need someone to force you to do such list. This is again to say, I am building my own, as Ravi was telling us a few minutes ago, my own cult. Then the positive one, tools to strengthen the new nature. Nourishing our spirit properly through prayer, praying the Psalms, which are the manna of the spirit. Discerning the need to nourish on the suitable food, whether milk or meat, prostration, prayer with unveiled face, stillness, revolutionary reading of the Bible. So it's three stages. We read a lot to get familiar with the world. Then we study it. Afterwards, the revelation will come. I will receive my revelation, which might be 
contrary to the whole church teaching, there is no problem for him. I will see it in a moment how he received his own revelation. We saw few interpretations, but now we'll see a revelation in the next talk. Praying the 12 statements of the blood of Jesus and the prophesying statements, which we never heard of in the church history. It's another invention. I will discuss it in a moment. But just looking at the two lists, it's non-Trinitarian. Nothing mentioned about the Trinity at all. Even a person in the Holy Trinity. Non-sacramental, non-synergetic, non-Eucharistic, non-ecclesial, add whatever you want. It's my handmade or man-made uh, list. The most important thing about the whole story, it's not about the list or what to do or what not to do. I'm asking myself, am I following a church or a cult? I'm following a cult of a man or a cult of a group. This is the most serious question. And then some people are accusing the church, are you against us because you are praying the Psalms and are making prostrations and attending many prayer meetings? Of course not. But ask yourself, why am I doing these things? The church is a, our church is an ascetic church. And the church has nothing else rather than the prostrations, the Psalms, reading the Bible, attending. We have nothing else. But ask yourself, why I'm doing this? And why I'm now doing it away from the church? Is it really the church defiled despite all the church fathers said it is not defiled? It's holy. Whether Eastern or Sixth Father said so, or Oriental or Church Father said so, ask yourself sincerely what I am doing and why I am doing it. And then, he is putting the feast of the unlived. This is just to show you how poor the knowledge of the Word of God, despite we are saying, read big, large quantities. In page 95, the church fathers started to see that there is a deep mystery in this matter. So they started from the point that Christ is our Passover. If the Passover represents the cross and the feast of the unleavened bread represents the resurrection, this means that the mystery of Christ is in all these feasts. Historically, it's wrong. Theologically, it's wrong. Biblically, it's wrong. Take it one by one. Yeah, you go to Google and ask any denomination about the feast. All of them, without exception, including the church father that I will see it, show it to you in a minute. The Passover represents the of Christ, but the unleavened bread doesn't represent the resurrection. It's always represented by the feast of the first fruits. And the unleavened is the day when Christ was in the tomb. And then we make it this is the mystery of Christ is all in all these feasts. Who said so? And here is what St. Cyril Alexander is telling us. It's a very famous book, Glafira, in the book of Numbers, and he is telling us the feast of the first fruit is the feast of resurrection. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. In the feast of the first fruit, they bring a sheaf of the first fruit, give it to the high priest, and he's waving it before the Lord. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord that you may find acceptance on the morrow after the feast, first day of the priest shall wave it. 
Jesus Christ is one, but like sheep he is, considered to contain many within himself. Is so because he possesses within himself all believers in a spiritual union. For this reason, blessed both, rise that we have been raised up with him and made sit with him in the heavenly realms. And then he is adding, Thus we say that we are all in him. He says that the sheaf should be waved in the morrow of the first day, between brackets, of unleavened bread that is on the third day after the Passover, where Christ arose from the dead on the third day on which also he entered the heaven with the waving the sheaf. It's the feast of the first fruit. The same thing, not to, to, it's words of St. Clement of Rome in his whistle to Corinthians. Now he's connecting the formation of Christ <coughs> with the Savior. In page 102 and then page 103, the formation of Christ requires the pouring of his life in us. We start to receive the life of Christ through the saving grace, which is the seed that has been, that has the life of Christ. Yet, this life needs to come out. So the life of Christ is imprisoned in the seed. The seed to form the person of Christ in us, we need more of his life so that he would be formed in us. Page 103, according to Atif Aziz, in each season, we receive the life of Christ in one of its forms, bearing in it one of the acts of salvation. Nowadays, it is often viewed as a celebration, again, to attack the church, as a celebration related to the season without seeing the link between these seasons and the formation of Christ. So the whole church missed it. We can see the formation of Christ in each of these seasons. This grace starts at the beginning of the season, as I told you a few minutes ago, continues through the season, and reaches its peak and completion in the celebration. This would be the grace of salvation of the particular season of the particular day. Yes. So it is not seasons, it is the whole life of the church. What does it mean? Our fast starts between the 4th and the 11th century, believe it or not. And the last fast or the fast of the nativity starts in the church in the 11th century. The other fast at the earliest 4th century. And now he's talking at the beginning of a season, continuity of the grace, and the beak of it. The church lived for centuries without recognizing the manifold grace of these seasons until we have this feast or this fast. There's something definitely wrong. We need to know that this is a lie. It has nothing. We can receive the power of his resurrection at any time. We have a daily cycle. If you go to our Agbeya, in the morning, every morning, every first hour, we celebrate his resurrection. Every third hour, we celebrate the pouring out of the Spirit. Every sixth hour, we celebrate his death, reliving this event on a daily basis. Every Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection once more. 
every 29th of the, of the Coptic month, we celebrate his Annunciation, his birth, his resurrection. And during the whole year, we have a liturgical year celebrating the whole life of Christ, reliving it. But we can enjoy anything in his life at any moment. We don't need only seasons. Yes, we celebrate the feast, we enjoy a great power of resurrection at that time. Like it doesn't mean the power of resurrection is kept on that day and other days of the year are not there. It's always there. That's why St. Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians 4.10 that the life of Christ may be manifested in your mortal bodies. The whole life can be manifested at any time and at all times. It's not related to certain dates. And here are the feasts of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the feast of the Coptic Orthodox Church. The two lists. It's the whole life of Christ. We can say there are four or five. It's the whole life of Christ. And as we read from Professor Theodore, even the life of the saints, prophets, everyone is all-inclusive because all of them were showing the coming Messiah if they were prophets in the Old Testament or the fulfillment that they were able to live the whole life of Christ when we were in the flesh and lived a holy and divine life. Then another misconception. St. Paul and St. John's use of the phrase in him. All the church fathers I will see in a moment. In him it means we are united, joined with him eucharistically as a living member of the body. And here is his own interpretation. We'll see both of them. What Atabadi said on page 114. Actually this is a mystery. It's a mystery of incarnation. He just took our flesh through the Virgin Mary and made it his own flesh. Therefore, his flesh does not belong to him only. It belongs to all humanity and to me and to you. This means that I have something in him which is my own flesh and so I am in him. St. John uses the phrase, being in Christ, we are the branches of the vine. Again, this is a mystery of the incarnation. Being in the vine, the living stream flows to us it flows from the vine to the branches. Very good. He's quoting the scripture. But again, in him, according to St. Paul, from the words of St. Paul himself, I speak as sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is it the bread we break? A participation in the body of Christ because there is no there is one loaf and we are so many are one body for we are all share the one loaf the oneness in Christ according to St. Paul is Eucharistic Mish you are going to make it Mish you are going to watch it no it's the reality of the church life according to St. John he gave us the example of the vine and the branches. But be careful. This is chapter 15 in the Gospel of St. John. But in chapters, from chapter 13 till 18, it was on the day of Thursday. Thursday. So the day starts with the Eucharist. Then he told them the parable of the vine and the branches. 
It's the reality of being in Christ through the Eucharist. It's not the theory of being in Christ according to St. John. The Lord was telling them, you are in me and I in you, based on what happened on this morning. Not based on something looks spiritual, but it's not real. And here was the Lord was telling us, even at the beginning, in In John chapter 6. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Unless my blood indeed and my flesh indeed, I will raise him at the last day. And you have no life in you. This is the Eucharistic understanding of the church. And this is the meaning of being a branch in a vine, that the life of the vine is going, feeding this branch, not separated from it. We'll finish in five minutes this talk. Then page 127 is giving us the mystery of the Holy Spirit. The pouring of the Holy Spirit, pouring of the Holy Spirit is one of the acts of salvation. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out his, this which we now see and hear. Fair enough. How are you going to get it? There is no way. I just put in front of you, again, the words of St. Cyril, that he received it for us in his body. He get, gained everything to our fallen humanity. And he is telling us it's time to enjoy it in your own personal baptism, renew it in each confession, and seal it with your Eucharist, the, the, the sacrament of the Eucharist. It's not just talking about the Holy Spirit without telling me how I can get it. Now we can see why he ignored the Feast of the Epiphany, which is the one of the main doors to Pentecost. We can't have a Pentecost without the epiphany. Yes, you can talk a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit, the need of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit without epiphany. It's nonsense to believe or to seek the Holy Spirit. Because without accepting this feast or this act of Christ that he is doing something who for us and for our salvation, God baptized to enable our fallen nature once more to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So it's a lie to preach Pentecost without epiphany. It's a big mistake. Then the fifth principle of sorting the fig dilemma is the power of the blood, or we call it the 12 statements of the power of the blood. Hmm? Yes, this is what he is saying, Atfadis, that. The fifth principle to sort out this, the problem that we have, or that he is faking it, is to break the 12 statements. Hear what he says in verse 140. I will share only two of them for the sake of the time. First practical thing we can do is to proclaim the acts of the blood of Jesus on our lives, daily if possible. It is better to specify it on what oneself for example, if the verse says that the blood of Jesus has the power of redemption, 
When I proclaim it on myself, I say the blood of Jesus has redeemed me, making, the, making it personal, and the same with all the 12 acts of the blood. I will share with you number one and number four, and we'll read what he is saying. Why? If you want to think it's a biblical prayer, we'll see is it biblical really or not, and then is it fitting in the church or not. So number one, or the first statement according to Atif Adiz in the statements of the blood, the blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. And the verse, according to what he wrote in his book, is Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The verse starts with in him, in a person. And a person who is offering his life. Then he is adding through the, his blood. The prayer doesn't mention anything about the person. It is only the blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. One more thing, and then I will tell you something about both of them. Number four. The blood of Jesus has reconciled me and granted me peace. God the Father, all the people, all creation. And he's quoting Ephesians 2, 13 and 16. And here are the verses and find out if the blood of God is reconciling me or not. But now in Christ Jesus you have you who once were far off has been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So the blood brought me near. Fair enough. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh, not only his blood, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man for, from the two, thus making peace. Does the statement say what the verse said or not? Let me share with you how the, pray, the church prays. We said a few minutes ago, lex orandi, lex credendi. What we pray is what we believe. Here is a, the Psali of Friday. And the, the first two verses from the Psalm of Friday, the second two from Wednesday. Let me start with Wednesday, that last two things. When we continue to keep him, it's the name of Christ, and our inner being is already in me, I will keep him, I'm not forming him. He will make us rich, not lost or hurt richness, as he said, that we can give to others. We do not ask for the wealth of this world, but for the salvation of our souls by calling upon his, name, his holy name. This is what we pray in the church in the Psalm of Wednesday. Friday, for three I approached a great prince, which is the name of salvation. We never had in a church a prayer only to the blood of Christ. So it's alien to our teaching. If it's alien, we don't have it. Why again? Because again, his focus was only on the resurrection and death of Christ. This is the life of Christ. It's not the life of Christ. The life of Christ is 
from the annunciation till pouring out the Spirit. It's the life of Christ. And he didn't come to give us one and leave the other. He came to give us the whole life. That's why one of the main tools, you can have it in your mind, if you cannot find this prayer or this sentence in our church prayers, it's alien. It's not orthodox. It's not at all in the church. We never had in the church. We have only one fraction when we speak to the blood of Christ. But it's one sentence before it. We are talking about to the person of Christ, to the wounds of Christ, to each part. We can't take one part and say, we don't need the other parts now. We believe in the power of the blood of Christ. But in the communion, we have the body and the blood of Christ. A woman is making something, maybe you can see it, is putting the spadicone in the chalice and then bringing the chalice, so the blood from the chalice, and put it once more on the body to say, this body is for this blood and this blood is for this body. We are not separating between both of them because Christ gave us his life, not his blood. Yes, we know the power of his blood, but we are not going to worship a small part of Christ. We are here to worship the whole person of the second uh, person of the, of the Holy Trinity. In two minutes, I will finish the results. He's saying you are gaining five things. I'll give you only two of them. Now you have something called the kingdom personality. So the dilemma was fake, and the five solutions are man-made, and now I'm showing you what is, going, what is the end product of this dilemma. Unfortunately, this can be apparent in believers as well. This is because the grace of salvation comes in the spirit, but the soul, personality, will still have the features of the land. Again, it's another invention that every one of us, now again, separation between the spirit and the soul, which is based on a lie on a verse, Romans, uh, Hebrews 4.12. 4, so he's trying to say, now you received the seed that the spiritual zygote, this spiritual zygote is able to change your spirit. But your soul is still the soul of the land. So you have the features of American, if you are in America, of Egyptian, if you are living in Egypt. So the role now that to change your personality. So this because the grace of salvation comes in the spirit, but the soul, personality, will still have the feature of the land. However, when Christ is formed in us, there will no longer be the feature of the personality of the land, but the features of the kingdom of God, the features that were originally in God's mind when he created each person. So God is against Egyptian personality, <laughs> against American nationality, and now he is restoring you once more. Again, do you think that God is about such things. The Lord was telling us from day one, again, it's the scripture, St. Paul, Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from day one. I don't need someone to, to split my personality into the personality of the land and the spirit is receiving the saving grace and now I'm going to, ch what are you doing? Who said so before you? Or who invented this idea before you? The fourth thing of the things we gain 
is what you call the robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness is in Isaiah 61:10, and this robe of righteousness is directly related to Christ. If Christ is small, I'm afraid you need to read this. <laughs> but if Christ is small in us, our robe of righteousness will be small and limited. Again, this is the words of Atavaziz. If Christ grows in us, our robe of righteousness will grow with him. This means that the robe of righteousness covers Christ in us. It covers the new man. It cannot cover anything with the old man. Therefore, the uncovered area in us, which is related to the old man, would be exposed, someone was asking, to the attacks of the evil powers. Can you imagine now the whole idea? I have an inner man which is going to be only closed with the robe of righteousness. The other bars are will be attacked, dominated, as he said somewhere else, by the devil. Let me ask a few questions here. In baptism, from day one, I have received the heavenly citizenship. And now he is telling us, Christ is the robe of righteousness and the garment of salvation, according to St. Cyril of Alexandria. Okay. We are just concluding all what he has said. I have an inner man in day one is zero as I go. And I have a table. This is again the teaching of Hatif Aziz. I'm explaining to find out how it doesn't fit in the end. So I have the table, zero table, because I have just as I go. But I have, unfortunately, a close, table close. So from day one, you are saved, received only the saving grace, but you don't have the Savior. You have no table, but you have a table close. You have the day goat. After a while, he was telling us, the robe of righteousness is going to cover only the new man. My new inner man now, still zero. And the bars which are not covered with the robe of righteousness are easily attacked by the evil powers. So I am totally under the meaning of the devil. Because my inner man is still as I good. So I'm a failure. With zero inner man, so when I die now, if I would die, then I am saved. But what is going to go to heaven, my inner man is zero. At best, it will be this like God, if, if anyone can see it. From the church father, as he said. Do you imagine how it's dramatic? <laughs> it's fake? Let me share with you one more thing. Yes. The church believes that from day one, I have the robe of righteousness. So, according to his own words, how come before forming Christ in the person, will I have it? And he said, at the beginning of the life of Christ, which is nothing again. So, logically, it doesn't fit that I am a table closed without a table. I have as I go without an inner man. And if I will die, I will go out nearly without a body because it has the same contour lines. And at the very end, I'm attacked by all evil powers because I have no cover. The robe of righteousness is nil. And here what the scriptures are telling us. 
St. Paul, St. Isaiah is telling us, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. According to St. Cyril and all the church fathers, it's Christ himself. We are clothed, even St. Paul said in Galatians, that who are those who are baptized has been clothed with Christ from day one. And now you are telling me, you are naked. It's only covering the new man which is nil. It's only on, on thy God. The conclusion in a minute. The dilemma is a misunderstanding of the scriptures and the church fathers and using a man-made approach. Do you agree? The solution is a man-made collection based on a wrong understanding of the church tradition. And the results are additional misconceptions to the faith delivered once to all things. So, what then? This is our last talk. I will give you two minutes rest, <laughs> and then we'll finish in, in, in the last. May the Lord Jesus Christ be with you from now on forever. Can you show me the questions? Can you, you can move if you want, if you have coffee or tea, but I will see the questions.